Hi there, and welcome to another Osler podcast. My name is Todd Fraser. Ketamine is regarded as a bit of a wonder drug in emergency and critical care areas, but is it all that it's cracked up to be? Andrew Casamento is an intensivist and emergency physician working across the Northern, Austin, Warringal Private and Bendigo hospitals, and is the author of a recent review on the role of ketamine in mechanically ventilated ICU patients. He joins me on the podcast to discuss some of the important points from the article. Andrew, welcome. Thanks, Todd. Thanks for having me again. Andrew, tell us a little bit about ketamine and how it works. And so ketamine um, was uh, first synthesized about 60 years ago and um, has a similar structure to a psychotropic agent, fencyclidine. But it's, um, it is a, a selective non-competitive N-methyl deaspartate NMDA receptor antagonist, which uh, the NMDA receptors are a group of receptors for glutamate in the brain, which is one of the, the main excitatory neurotransmitters in the brain and spinal cord. Um, so it, it's uh, the NMDA receptors are pretty important for a lot of neurological functions. Um, ketamine, has, although incompletely understood, ketamine has a lot of effects in the CNS. Um, it blocks certain reflexes in the spinal cord, it inhibits excitatory neurotransmission in selected areas of the brain. Um, and this, this sort of adds to or leads to its uh, clinical effects, including a dissociative anesthesia, which we can talk about a little bit later on. Andrew, in your article, you point out some of the important um, pharmacokinetic and pharmacodynamic uh, points about ketamine. Can you just highlight those for us? Yeah, sure. Um, so it's, it has a pretty rapid onset of action um, within 30 seconds because it's um, uh, highly lipid soluble, uh, therefore could cross the blood brain barrier readily uh, and has low protein binding. Um, it has an elimination half-life of about three and a half hours, which is prolonged in um, critically unwell patients. Um, it is hepatically metabolized to um, norketamine and dehydroxynorketamine, which are then readily excreted. But norketamine has some metabolic activity um, with up to one third the potency of ketamine. So um, I guess that's something to be or to consider when, when using in patients with kidney injury. Um, although there aren't really any current recommendations on what to do with ketamine um, when patients have renal failure, but it's certainly that that metabolite does have some action and is prolonged in, in renal failure. Andrew, one of the most common indications in the intensive care environment for ketamine is post-operative pain. How does it work in this setting and what are the advantages of using it? So ketamine, in addition to the, the CNS um, uh, actions that I spoke about before, has um, some effect on serotonin and noradrenaline receptor activation and reuptake inhibition, as well as effects on um, opioid receptors. Um, so it, in this regard, is, uh, can be used as an adjunct for analgesia. analgesia. Um, and, um, and we see clinically, we use it quite a bit in post-operative patients. Um, we tend to use it when well, I guess where I work, we tend to use it when opioids as a PCA or infusion don't tend to have as good an effect as um, you would like. So we tend to add ketamine in after that. Perhaps we should be initiating the therapy of it more readily. Uh, the, also, the other effect that it has regarding postoperative pain is that um, it has 
uh, NMDA receptor blockade in the dorsal horn cells of the spinal cord, which are thought to be important for the wind-up phenomenon of pain leading to opioid desensitization. So perhaps it may have some effect in, in chronic pain, um, preventing chronic pain. And um, what's the evidence say about its use for this sort of indication? So there are there are a lot of um, randomised trials which have been performed looking at ketamine for post-operative pain. There was a Cochrane review performed a few years ago um, in 2018 where they um, examined 130 randomised trials of over 8,000 patients um, and found that, that ketamine did um, reduce the opioid or the morphine equivalents um, at 24 and uh, 48 hours and um, decreased, well, associated decrease in pain scores. So there is some evidence in post-operative patients with a lot of randomised double-blind control trials that actually uh, ketamine does decrease post-operative post opioid consumption. And one of the concerns that many of us have is the psychological effects. What do we know about that in these sorts of indications and for these sorts of doses? The the um, concerning effects that you're you're talking about are the was particularly just with the CNS effects are um, things like hallucinations, agitation, and delirium. And we we see that when we use it in the emergency department, the um, what's described as emergence phenomenon where people can become agitated um, and have quite vivid. Um, hallucinations. Um, it, it's interesting, there has been a few reviews of this or um, uh, meta-analyses of, of the effects post-operatively, and one early um, review showed that there were increased CNS effects, but the, the more recent um, Cochrane review, which I spoke about just before, showed that, um, that well, they looked at pooled CNS events, which included hallucinations, dizziness, confusion, drowsiness, sedation, and nightmares. And actually, the, the overall pooled events weren't different between the placebo group and the um, ketamine group. So it's a little bit hard to, to um, I don't know, interpret that, to be honest. We clinically, I see patients complain of hallucinations, which when, when ketamine's being used, which often uh, are um, taken away when you reduce the dose of ketamine. So um, it's probably dose related. And I think um, for these patients, if we just take note and reduce the dose if required, and we can remove the symptoms. Um, when you are using it for uh, the relief of acute post-operative pain, what are the sorts of doses that we should be um, contemplating? Yeah, so in, the, in that review that I spoke about, um, the doses that were used traditionally, or, or the doses that were used in that, in that Cochrane review were 0.1 um, to 0.3 milligrams per kilogram per hour. Um, the hospitals that I work at have a policy that ketamine is used at 0.1 to 0.3, but I must admit clinically, uh, I tend to see effect at usually 0.1 and some and, and up to 0.2. I don't tend to need to go to 0.3. And I guess the um, CNS concerns that, that uh, we talked about would be one of the reasons I wouldn't push higher. Um, but but traditionally, the dose for post-operative pain is, is around that ballpark, 0.1 to 0.3 milligrams per kilogram per hour. The other common indication is for painful procedures in the ICU, such as burns, uh, dressing changes, or intercostal catheter insertion, those types of things. Is it effective in this setting, and what sort of doses are commonly used? 
So there is there's a bit of work done on Burns patients, but I, I must admit I'm I don't know if you might have to edit this out. I'm not too familiar with with that uh, data specifically. Uh, I guess I'm more familiar with the ED side of things, but um, we we tend to we do use it for painful procedures in the emergency department quite a bit, in particular in children. Um, and there is the, uh, there is a bit of data suggesting effectiveness of ketamine. Um, not only is there clinical data, but um, I guess personal use suggests that it's quite effective uh for painful procedures and as i mentioned particularly in children where where in things such as fracture manipulation sutures um it works really well as a sedative agent andrew in addition to using it as a pain uh, or an analgesic post-operatively it could be used as a sedative agent to, or at least as an adjunct to conventional sedation what does the evidence currently tell us about its use in this context yeah, the uh, um, ketamine's recommended um, in uh, some guidelines, the PADIS guidelines, as a adjunct to um, analgesia in in the ICU mechanically ventilated patients, but will also have some effect on sedation. So it probably has effect on sedation and, and analgesia. There's there's not a lot of data actually, um, despite that recommendation, to tell us. Uh, whether ketamine is effective for that patient, that patient group with regards to opioid sparing or not. Um, there's a few small randomised trials um, which show that of they are varying quality, but um, show that ketamine may reduce opioid uh, consumption in the mechanically ventilated ICU patient, um, but uh another study showed that it didn't so it's a bit bit hard to to know whether it does or not i'll just stress again that the three trials the three randomized trials that um i know of are very small one's a pilot study um and they do obviously have some have methodological issues so um it's a bit unclear whether ketamine is of use in mechanically ventilated ICU patients. Um, and I think this is an area which needs to be explored in the future um, in appropriately sized randomised trials. Um, of course, the other indication that we see in the critical care environment quite commonly is for induction of anaesthesia in critically ill patients. What are the potential benefits of ketamine in this circumstance? Yeah, so um, because of the CNS effect, um, which I talked about before, ketamine produces what's, what's commonly referred to as a dissociative anesthesia where the patient um, looks sort of semi-conscious but um, doesn't respond to any painful stimulus and has preserved respiratory function um, but is unable to is, un is unaware and unable to process in or respond to any sensory input. So, so it can work, sorry, it, it works as a general anesthesia from that point of view. It has um, some potential positive effects on hemodynamics, which um, makes it quite an attractive option in the critically unwell. I'll talk a little bit about that a bit more later on, but so, so potentially that's one of the benefits using it for induction of anesthesia. So one of the things you referred to there is the, the potential hemodynamic benefits, which is one of the reasons that people choose it as the, the agent of choice. 
how does it work in that setting? And is it as simple as that, that it is a cardio-stable drug? Uh, I'll answer the second one first. No, it's not as simple as that, but um, I'll go through it. So it it has um, believed to have a direct action on serotonergic and noradrenergic receptors and prevent transmitter reuptake, leading to increased catecholamine levels. Um, so the net effect theoretically is an increased sympathomimetic activity. And th that's why it's thought to be um, hemodynamically uh, stable or um, uh, improve conditions for intubation in the critically unwell. The downside of though, that increased sympathomimetic activity is there is potentially effects on increased oh, blood pressure, increasing blood pressure and increasing arrhythmias. However, it's not as clear cut as that. There is data that suggests in patients who are shocked that um, giving an induction dose of ketamine can lead to significant hypotension. And there was a study done in the pre-hospital setting where patients who were shocked um, had an uh, increased rate of hypotension um, compared to those that weren't shocked. And that's been seen in other studies as well. Why, why did this happen? Um, well, the, the mechanism is that patients who are critically unwell with a high shock state have maximal sympathomimetic activity prior to induction. Um, and it allows less substrate in which ketamine can act to maintain hemodynamic stability. Also, there's a bit of in vitro evidence that ketamine is a negative inotrope when applied directly to cardiac muscle. So uh, in these patients who have maximal sympathomimetic activity, the, uh, the positive effects of ketamine are probably outweighed by the, the negative effects. And that's why we see potentially see this. So I guess um, it may be the best of a bad lot. I mean, any sedative agent in someone who's severely shocked will uh, potentially cause um, significant hypotension and cardiovascular collapse. It's hard to know whether ketamine's better than any others in this situation, to be honest. Andrew, in addition to uh, its use in hemodynamically unstable patients, are there any other um, groups of patients who may potentially benefit from its use as an induction agent? So um, I guess patients, um, we already mentioned patients who are shocked have to be wary of using it, but there are, I guess, other groups where potentially that's some benefit. The, I suppose the, the group, first group that comes to mind are the patients who are suffering from severe asthma. Um, ketamine um, does cause some bronchodilatation um, and uh, probably related to its sympathomimetic activity. Uh, and so in patients who are presenting with um, severe asthma, um, it would make sense that ketamine may be an appropriate induction agent. Um, the other group would be those that uh, you wish the patient to have continued spontaneous ventilation. So uh, those that perhaps have acute airway obstruction, ketamine may be a, an appropriate agent to use rather than something that's going to remove respiration. You did mention the potential influence on uh, intracranial pressure. Um, what does the evidence tell us about that? So early on, or early on, there was data that suggests um, ketamine was associated with raised intracranial pressure in patients who had space-occupying lesions. Um, and th uh, there were concerns with using it. However, there's been a few um, small randomised control trials of ketamine in the last 15 years or so, um, which showed that it, it, it may increase um, intracranial pressure, but there, 
is a net overall increase in cerebral perfusion pressure probably related to the sympathomimetic activity. So the net effect is that there probably isn't um, a detrimental effect on the CNS. And there's been a few um, prospective and retrospective um, systematic reviews of that. And overall, there, there appears to be no significant effect on ICPs or long-term neurological outcomes. So it's probably safe to use in patients with raised ICP. However, the only caveat with that is that the four studies that I mentioned were pretty small. So I think it's, um, I think a lot of people will still have some concerns giving it to um, patients with raised ICP. Andrew, just um, on the dosing for, um, for the induction of general anesthesia, what um, doses should be used in, in patients? So the, the dose ranges that are described are one to four and a half milligrams per kilogram. Um, that the four and a half milligrams per kilogram I've intravenously this is is it, it seems to me quite a big dose. Um, so uh, a commonly recommended regime is to use one milligram per kilogram and then repeated doses if the initial sedation is inadequate. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's quite a wide um, range of recommended dose, but I think starting off at one milligram per kilogram seems pretty reasonable. You also mentioned there the intravenous dose. That implies that there's an alternative uh, route that it can be administered. Yeah, there's a. It, it can be given intramuscularly. Um, we we tend to use the intramuscular dose um, when. Um, so it, it can be given. Sorry, I'll go back. So intramuscular dose is often given in in pre-hospital setting in agitated patients where the uh, emergency services team are trying to gain control and don't have IV access. Um, we also use that in, uh, in children when we um, want to initiate sedation for painful procedures. And the dose generally is, is four milligrams per kilogram intramuscularly. Um, and that's the same in, in kids or adults. And some of the data used is pre-hospital even higher than that, actually up to five milligrams and even higher, to be honest. Finally, Andrew, are there any other potential benefits? You refer to the anti-inflammatory effects in the article. Can you tell us a bit about those? Yeah, so there is some data that um, ketamine, when um, used uh, for induction of anesthesia, can decrease post-operative um, uh, inflammation as um, evidenced by decreased interleukin six levels, for example, in one of the studies. Um, and it's not clear whether that's beneficial in intensive care unit patients, but there is some data that, that, that um, uh, does happen when given as, in, uh, as an anesthetic agent. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast and sharing your insights into uh, the use of ketamine in ICUs. Thanks very much, Todd. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Get access to all our great podcast interviews, as well as hundreds of modules, journal reviews, quizzes, and articles by downloading our free app. Search for My Osler wherever you get your apps, or visit our website at osslercommunity.com.